0: Welcome back, everyone, to Comadriando Our time to spill it. We are back for our second episode of our new season, season two, and we are so happy to be back. And on top of being back, we are so excited because today will be our very first guest ever on our show. Woo! And yes, our qué first- padre. Sí, mujer. And our guest is Teresa Doval-Page. Welcome, Teresa. Thank you.
1: Muchas gracias.
0: Today we are so excited because we will be talking about one of her current books that is about to be released literally this week anything we're recording the day before (laughs) it's released Um, and we are so excited to have her here so stay tuned and we will tell you more about the book and more about herself
2: welcome back everyone Uh, we're so excited to be here with our guest Teresa today um check us out on instagram at Comadriando hour check out the magazine latina chica
0: speaks magazine check out our tiktok Comadriando hour and then you can also check out gabby's amazing tiendita because we all know that she's an entrepreneur and you can check out her tienda at sabor a mí. and that's under slash Sabor with an O, that's a zero, because we got to get creative. And then another underslash. So check us out. And she also has a website. Gabby, do you want to tell them where your website is? Yes,
2: definitely. So the website is
0: saboramishop.com. And lastly, um, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to please donate. Check out our donation page. If you click on the description, donate to this page or go to our website, Latina Chica Speaks Magazine and hit donate. When you donate to the magazine, you donate to all of us. It is three podcasts and we're all working together. And so thank you so much for listening. And now for the good stuff. Let's get to the interview, right, Gabby? Yes, let's get into it.
2: Yes. Yay. Cool, so let's get started. I'll go ahead and tell you a little bit about our guest and then she'll definitely be sharing more. Um, so today we have the honor of speaking with Teresa Tobo Page, um, who is a Cuban writer. She was born in Havana, but left in 1996 for the United States, where she has been living ever since. She obtained her doctorate degree in Latin American literature from the University of New Mexico. Um, And she has published an amazing eight novels to this day. Her third novel, Muerte de un Murciano en La Habana, Death of a Murciano in Havana, um, published in 2006, was a runner up for the Premio Heralde. Her next novel, El Difunto Fidel, The Late Fidel, won the Rincón de la Victoria Award in Spain in 2009. She has also published several plays and short story collections. Teresa currently lives in Hobbs, New Mexico and teaches at New Mexico Junior College. Yay. Welcome, Teresa. Welcome We're so excited to
1: have you. Have you. Yay. Muchas gracias. Thank you so much for inviting me. And I wanted to say that my students here at New Mexico Junior College love your podcast. We listen to them. So as part of our class, um, they particularly enjoy the, uh, oh, the calmas o oh, the calmo uh, we, I mean, we love to discuss all the materials that you put there—the the magazine, the podcast—because it, it gives us a, you know, a good window to life out of here, you no know, fuera de hops. And especially for my heritage uh, students, they really identify a lot with what you're doing in the podcast. Muchas gracias por, por uh, ponerlos a nuestra disposición for making them available. To everybody who wants to listen to them, muchas gracias. And the magazine too.
0: Yes, uh, we're so happy to hear that because um, sometimes we don't know who's listening, and so it's good to know that people are listening and love it, <laughs>
1: right? Yeah. Everybody? One one question was like, oh, could they maybe write a little summary of what the podcast is about, something like two or three paragraphs? And I thought, well, I will, I will take the idea to them.
0: Oh,
2: yeah. Mm, sería muy bueno. Definitely. We'll, we'll take that feedback back to I
0: know. Faculty. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm taking it down, taking notes in this interview.
1: Pero muy buena labor que ustedes hacen. You do really Gracias. good job. Well,
2: we're so excited to have you. And we have prepared some questions for our discussion today. So um, what do y'all think? Are you ready to get started? Yes.
1: <laughs> Mm, muy ready,
2: super ready. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, muy, muy ready.
0: Muy ready. <laughs> uh,
2: the reason for our special guest today is because she is releasing a book um, tomorrow, actually, but by the time this episode is released, um, it will already be out. You can go check it out, purchase it, and support. Um, this new book is called Death Under the Persides, A Havana Mystery. So... <laughs> <laughs> we we want to get into it about this book. Um, thank you for sending us a copy. We were very excited yeah. to to read. It. Bueno. Have a little have a little book club. Me and Anna be um, our first
0: book club. <laughs> ah, <que> linda!
2: <laughs> so the first question we have for you today is: Where were you born, and how did that influence this book? And how did how has that influenced
1: overall your writing and other books? I was born in Havana Cuba and I think that being Cuban informs all my writing because I I like to write about Cuba los cubanos our culture and food especially our food you no know? so sometimes I think of my books as tours of Cuba in readers get of course the mystery part you know there since these are mystery novels there has to be alguien mata you No, know, there has to be somebody dying or disappearing or something but also it's about the country right so i see, uh, I see yeah. it as a way of getting, letting people know what i know about cuba sharing my culture and life in cuba with my audience That's
2: nice okay. yeah we yeah. definitely got um, some taste of Cuban culture throughout the story. A lot yeah. of references.
0: Literal taste, porque hablas <laughs> yeah. de comida,
1: y ahora ya yeah. sé por qué. You love it. <laughs> See, I I love to write about food because I love to eat. And <laughs> for my first novel, the, that was a culinary mystery. I really got to prepare lots of recipes, Cuban recipes that I had made in years, and when I since I was putting them in the book, they were part of the story, I had to go over it and I was in La Muerte Entra Por La Cocina, Death Comes In Through the Kitchen. That was my first uh, mystery novel was Soho Crime. So I made like 10 or 15 recipes and I was, yeah, food is good. Let's start putting them in books. And though the other three novels are not culinary mysteries as such, just mysteries, but they always have the element of food, comida cubana.
0: yeah
2: that's why i was getting hungry then and i think um as latinas and latinos there is so much of our culture that is tied to our food our traditions right those are some of the things that we hang on to just passionately um because they tie us back to so many memories right like Mm -hmm. our senses the way that food stimulates our senses it brings us back to a different time a different era being you know in our mom's kitchen or con tu abuelita um, yes. so definitely picked up some uh, picked that up throughout the book
1: yeah la, la cocina is very important in, in my books the kitchen as such a space within the house as a physical space i try to describe it in as many details as i can because it's well it's the heart of the house and in that sense I put it in so many of my books, Siempre hay una cocina, no? Mm-hmm. Especially, I'm um, Death under the persides per side, per side, whatever. Uh, <laughs> there is the kitchen where Mercedes, the protagonist, uh, used to go and make food. And her, her grandmother, Mamina, was always cooking there. And the kitchen is uh, is an important space in, in the book and in the one coming after this one.
2: Definitely. Nice. Um, so diving deeper into the, you know, the title of the book, Death Under the Persides, Um, And, and as you mentioned, right, in order to have a, a murder mystery novel, you know, people have to go missing or die. So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, your experience with being a murder mystery writer as a Latina writer?
1: It took me quite a bit to identify myself as a major mystery writer, because before that, all my previous books have just been, uh, well, literary books, but not not mysteries. So I, I was flirting with mysteries before. In "Muerte de un Murciano en La Habana" I was in Spanish. Death of a guy from Murcia. Murcia is a region in Spain. In Havana, uh, I was flirting with murder because some uh, it's, it's about a Spanish guy who goes to Cuba and dies there. So I would I mean it has been a constant the late Fidel, el defunto Fidel, who which is not about Fidel Castro. is a title just para fastidiar, no, pero realmente <laughs> it has nothing to do with Fidel Castro, it's also kind of a mystery. I mean it has elements of mysteries, but it took me four mysteries as such published by Soho Crime to say, okay, see. Sí, so you're a mystery writer, no. And but it, yeah, it, it took me a, a long time. It took me four years and, until I said, yes, Pues we'll sí. see. And when I wrote the first one, when I wrote, ah, this comes into the kitchen, I didn't know if I actually was going to continue writing mysteries or was going to be a one-time a thing, but I liked it too much. So then after that, in uh, wing Queen of Bones, which is about the orishas you know, those orishas the Afro-Cuban art titles. And then just death of a telenovela star that takes place in a cruise ship like uh this under the first side And well now I say see sí, sí, sí. I'm a murder mystery writer. Claro que sí. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> yes, 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 como la canción Claro que yes. <laughs> claro que yes, but it yeah, it took me a while because. No sabía, no. Pues si voy a seguir con este brete de los mysteries or not. But yes, I continued with el brete de los mysteries.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you have a number of books. And I think sometimes it kind of happens like that when we're getting into a new field, getting into a new discipline. It's like we we come in like a little bit humble sometimes, right? Like, okay, I'm new (laughs) in the game um
1: let yeah. me see yeah. let me get my feet wet first yeah that's how i felt at first when i went to the mystery writers conventions i didn't dare to say much no,' especially when people started talking like one one question was uh well do you write mysteries to bring justice to the world and to correct what is wrong you say bueno, i'm not sure that i can correct anything with my books i just write to entertain but no, you, you get to, and then after uh if several of these conferences, I started to get okay, I see what they are trying to say. Yes, in a way, mysteries when they end well, they bring justice to the world because well the bad guys are punished and the uh, truth comes to light. Uh but at first, knew? it was it was humbling indeed. Like what are they talking about? Yeah, and I think too um
2: we sometimes want everything to be about social justice and and we get like obsessed with that a little bit right like what are you you know what is this doing for the world but but sometimes it's important to also enjoy literature for fun right for pleasure um and and it doesn't always have to be so intensely like oh this book is gonna completely change the whole world but people are really gonna enjoy and they're gonna have fun with it and they're gonna learn about my culture right
1: yeah and just to entertain people that was my first idea I know when I when I started to write I just want to to entertain myself when, when I write I enjoy the process and then well hopefully other people will too
2: yeah for sure definitely and I think for me I can relate to that because I've had my times where I'm like you know I keep buying books about critical race theory and discrimination and this and that. And then sometimes I'm like, my brain hurts. I, I love reading, but I want to read something for fun, right? I don't I don't need to be like stressing out all the time about fixing everything. See? So definitely there there is a special place for, for fun books as well.
1: For fun books, cozy books.
2: Yes. <laughs> okay. So I wanna know, kind of getting a little bit more into the storyline in the book, um, the characters. So we have the main character, um, Mercedes or Merceditas, or mm-hmm. when she comes to the United States, her name, you know, transitions to the English version, she becomes Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's definitely a very interesting character. And so, you know, we wanted to ask you, how did you conceive this character? Is she at all like you? Do you identify with her? Um, are there parts of your own story in this book?
1: Well, bueno, okay, so Merceditas and I have a few things in common, but I make sure <laughs> to establish some clear differences to, for example, she hates reading and that's a constant throughout the book. She doesn't want anything to do with literature or anything related to academia, she hates all that, and well, that's, that's not me, and she's way more flirtatious than I am, no, so yo no sé, te no, Merceditas is more like, oh, sí. Say cuanto, no. she's actually based on several people that I know. She's a position of several people that uh, based on several people that I know, and then of course a lot of of my imagination. So yeah, that that's Mercedita. The part that's a little bit like mine is well, the experience of coming from Cuba to a new country and not knowing anybody here and trying to find her way, and with I coming married to an American that was also my. My experience, so yeah, it does. She does have some some things in common with me, pero más <laughs> similitudes. Yo diría more differences than similarities.
0: I also wanted to add that I do notice like the way language you use language to bring in like culture, but also like forms of love. People who love her in Cuba know her; they call her Merceditas, right? Mm-hmm. And then everybody else only knows her as Mercy or Mercedes, right? And I can relate to that because I have a name that only my family calls me. And if I'm in the streets and I hear that name, I know it's my family. There's no way that it's a friend or anybody, you know, it's a name that I've been called all my life, especially because me and my mom have the same name, Ana Yana. So they had to come up with, you know, sometimes they go, oh, Señora Ana, y luego like, Anita, right? Very oh. easy. But I felt like that was also there. Would you say that that's part of it? Why sometimes she is Merceditas and why sometimes she's Mercedes and why she's Mercy? Yes,
1: I never thought of that, but now that you are giving it up. See, sí, sí, <laughs> identificarse, no, and well, it happens to me too. I'm Teresita in my house. Hey. You know, my mother always calls me
0: Teresita, no? They hey.
1: eat that thing that
0: we sí. use, and that's why where- the the the, the... The Chiquiliando, you know, the Chiquea, the 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 love, right? So yeah, I felt that from her too, right? Like I feel like she gets that a lot
1: from Mamina, right? So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: because I Mamina,
1: it. of course, la abuelita, no la chiquea sí. mucho. And her best friend Candela also uses the Mercedita thing, but then other people couldn't pronounce her name or and I I have several friends named Mercedes, and it was something that happened to one of them, two, two of them actually, that people asked them why they were named after a car. That was a question that they were asked in real life, and they were, Pero, you know, primero, estaba la Mercedes y después vino el carro. No, but most people just think Mercedes and think immediately of the of, the, uh, of the uh, car. name of the brand. So it's mm-hmm. car, and of course, no. Can I ask the next question,
0: Gabby? Go for it. Yes. For your other characters, um, how did you come up with those characters and do any of them come from your personal life? I mean, can I say that maybe, you know, Nolan is kind of like
1: your husband or not, oh or, my, um, well, or maybe Lorenzo is more like a be, pues vamos, vamos por partes, como diría Jack, no, okay, bueno, Nolan realmente no. No se pasa tanto, it's not based on my husband, but it's based on several professors that I have met. He's like the typical academic, I have to say the typical male academic, very pontificating type. Los conozco, we, los conozco bien. Mm-hmm. We all know those types, <laughs> ¿no? El professor always thinking that is behind the podium, See, No, my, my husband is an aircraft mechanic, so he does pontificate, okay, because I think it's, it's just universal. <laughs> he pontificates too, but not that much, pero in, and Nolan is actually based on several professors I, I have had. And I, I just hope I didn't make him uh, into a cliche. And Marmina, though, Marmina, she she's based on my grandmother, my own abuela. Sí. Y Lorenzo is also based on guys that I have known. No, no, novios personales, pero <laughs> tipos que, que yo he conocido. Also, one of my professors in, in Cuba, and I did my master's in Havana, I, it was kind of based on, on the. That the guy, he had this flourishing. Muy, muy mm-hmm. así le, muy diferente, no? Con su pelo, con su ponytail y todo. Entonces, so most of the characters have some sí. real life face, but they, of course, a, a lot of it is my imagination too. Y Candela is a character that appears in several of my books. I have a collection of short stories that the title is Por culpa de Candela. And it's es una friend of her name is not Candela, but it's like Candela, because she's always getting into trouble, so she appears in books in English and books in Spanish, it's the mm. name, no? It's ¿no? like Candela, although it's just a secondary character, but it's muy, muy especial in mi corazón.
0: Y y el muchacho que se va al último que es el que le está ayudando a mamina. Oh, Satya Deva.
1: Ok, Satya. Spoiler (laughs) alert. Sí, oye, pues el Satya Deva, mira. Esto sí, this is a personal experience. Uh, In the 90s in Cuba, when the so called special period began, you know, the crisis there and all that. Yeah, do you want to
0: do you want to Teresa tell people um because I feel like not a lot of us in the states get this information or know the history but what is the special period in Cuba and what oh. caused it to be to the you know to that point and why was it that they were catering to the tourists right because it's I mean, Keo, yeah. right, Keo is getting the opportunity. And I think you did a really good job, by the way, at showing that circumstance, that time period with these characters, because I did get the impression that Keo had way more access as a tourist, as a visitor than did um, Lorenzo, who was native, and, and um, yeah. Merceditas, verdad?
1: Yeah, well, right, it, in the special period was just that economic crisis that started when the Soviet, the ex- former Soviet Union disappeared. They were propping up the Cuban economies throughout the 70s and the 80s. But then when they disappeared as, as a country, they, what, uh, Russia didn't have the resources or probably the inter, any interest in helping Cuba. So Cuba was kind of left on its own. And at that time, the government decided to invite tourists as a way of getting dollars into the economy. And that's how tourism uh, started in Cuba as a uh, government-supported venue sorry, or enterprise. Before that, Cuba was very close to anybody that was from the capitalist countries. They, they were it, it was a very difficult process for tourists to go to Cuba. Tourism didn't exist as such. But in the yeah. 90s, uh, after communism disappeared in Europe, that was the only way. Uh, that the government used to or had to make money venezuela because of and, the u s embargo verdad? and that uh, also uh, because of embargo, but then mm-hmm. American tourists found a way to circumvent the embargo and at that time actually many um academics well not many but some academics from the United States started going to Cuba because Cuba eliminated all the uh, Red tape, or most of the red tape, they still had to deal with the red tape here, no? But it, it was, it, Cuba started opening up a little bit to, uh, to tourism to people from other countries that they were, were curious about what's going on there. But then that established a double economy in the island because the right. tourists came with dollars or euros or whatever convertible currency they were using. And we Cubans only had Cuban pesos. And for several years until 96, I think, dollars were forbidden. If Cubans were cut with dollars, they would go to jail. So we Cubans couldn't use that's dollars, so but crazy. Tourists. Yeah, and we Cubans couldn't enter a dollar store unless we were accompanied by a tourist, and the tourists had to show the passport. Wow. So, yeah, it was very difficult. And that's why many Cubans came to resent the tourists that. Many of them came with good intentions. It was not that they they tried to make us feel bad. That's how I met my first husband. But um it was a difficult situation for most of us. And then mm-hmm. at the same time, oh, because we're talking about Satyadeva, at the same time he, that this he, tourism started, he, in many religious groups started going to Cuba to proselytize too. So it was not just tourism, just regular tourism, or academics like Nolan that takes. Students there for summer courses to the University of Havana, but also religious organizations. Then the Catholic Church already was established in Cuba, but in the, um, this new age stuff, new age groups started going and miren la ley de the law of attraction, and positive stuff. Hay estos libros de Connie Mendez, como se llamaban, Te regalo lo que se te antoje, by a Venezuelan uh, writer. Connie Mendes. So all that that was old in the rest of the world, okay, the power of positive thinking, all that, all that was new in Cuba. And in Satya Deva is part of one of these new age groups. And in the in the next novel, the one I'm uh, working on right now, we you, you, were getting sentimental, yeah, the <laughs> metaphysical thing, because all that was super new for us. And it's, it's part of the like, Cuban experience that many people don't know about. I and mean, when people think about Cuba, first thing they think is Santeria, and I'm guilty of that too, because uh, I put Santeria in queen of bones and I put Santeria in desk uh, comes through the uh, kitchen. But in the next book, I want to talk more about the metaphysical groups and that other part of the spiritual experience and Satya Deva is going to help me with that.
0: Ah, wow, what well, I'm spoiling something else. <laughs> <laughs> New story. <laughs> this is a small break in between episodes to introduce you to our sponsors and any announcements we may have.
2: I think, too, Um, sometimes here in the United States, we forget um, you, just how big hospitality, like the hospitality and tourism industry is and how crucial it is to sustain. You know other countries throughout the world yeah. um and and also we don't always understand the impact that we have as tourists right like you said tourists literally coming in and people hating them or being resentful oh. towards them um and tourists are just coming to have fun right like not understanding the social political context of the places they're visiting but just yeah. more the excitement about visiting these really beautiful places yeah and um, the privilege that they basically have right and yeah instance, right mm-hmm. to be able to come and like spend money and not worry money. Money, right
1: <laughs> yeah that, Are, and <laughs> it wasn't that they acted in a particularly obnoxious manner or that they tried to make humans feel bad but it was just the way things were that no especially you go to a hotel with the tourist and say no no cubano do not use, you cannot come in, only the tourists, so that was it, and so, yes, it, had, it was kind of a difficult experience for, I'm sure it was difficult for many tourists, too, they, they didn't know what was going on. Would you me. consider that,
0: like, um, like, segregation, almost? Oh,
1: definitely, yes. definitely,
2: mm-hmm. okay. Thank you for, for giving us a little bit of context, I, I know, for oh, most think of think I... us, there's a lot of, like, um, Mystery and like, oh, Cuba, right? Like, there's like an exoticism that people like to yeah. obsess about, and it's like, but well, we actually don't know anything. <laughs> but that has been
1: said my books, so it's that ah, bueno. Exoticism, right?
2: <laughs> so, why did you pick this setting specifically? Why a cruise ship? Are you into like, you know, going on trips on cruises? Like, what's it was <laughs> like a very it's a cool story. And it was just interesting. Like, this is an interesting setting to choose for this story.
1: Ay, bueno, sí, si, la verdad. My husband and I have taken many, many cruises, many cruises. And it is our favorite kind of vacation. No, son las vacaciones de los de lo holgazanes. Son lazy vacations. Because we don't have to do anything or decide anything, where to go, what to eat. Everything is decided for us. So nosotros somos being lazy in that sense. And Well, that's why I guess that cruises appeared in several of my novels. In Spanish, the the first time I read about the cruise was Atlantico, a dos voces. It's a short story. And I had so much fun writing it. And then my friends said, oh, wow, que interesante. So esas cosas pasan en los cruceros. the kind of things, the shenanigans that you can see in cruise ships. Then in English, um, I wrote the, the novel that came before first uh, such was um death of a telenovela star and it also takes place in a cruise in a Caribbean cruise uh, so I said yeah it's, it's a, because it's a closed space no it's the the closed room mystery another take on the closed room mystery so everybody's in in one place they cannot go anywhere it's kind of fun to work with it in yeah. the the setting of a, of a mystery novel so that's why. Uh, I have used it three times now and yeah and I like it
2: definitely I recently went on a cruise bile, for, my, for the first time ever and, where did
1: you go um we
2: went to Baja uh well no we went to Mexico so it was um it went to Puerto Vallarta Mazatlán and Cabo
1: Los Cabos.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. so it was really fun it was a seven-day cruise and definitely you're right it is very much A place to just go rest go rest eat drink you don't have to worry about anything everything's there for you um but I like what you pointed out about kind of like having that closed room feeling it is very much that because it's like sealed (laughs) right even the rooms like you can't open your some of the rooms don't have open windows right not all of them have windows um and it's just also mysterious like where do all the workers live and like what did when do they go to sleep like what you know there's a lot of layers to it that it kind of does give you
1: that feeling of mystery yeah who are the
0: other passengers and what are they up
2: to yeah yeah i was reading the book and i was and then i was like wait this is like a murder mystery about a cruise and i'm going on a cruise i was like maybe (laughs) no So
1: I was it, like, maybe uh, I should uh, put the book down for when I come back. Yeah, <laughs> until you come back because, no, no. And then after I finished, I realized that there, there were some things that were not exact. In modern cruise ships, you are watched all the time. So there is a camera following you. And uh, that I uh, friend of mine who has worked in cruises told me, well, What you put there is not totally exact because you are watching all the time, you are not in your room. There is a camera on your own, okay? (laughs) You like that helps, yes, muchacho. Mm -hmm. So, in this sense, it's not really a closed room because there is a closed room with a camera recording your every move, Mm -hmm.
2: yeah. And I think it's like (laughs) It kind of makes me think of Disneyland, like for adults. Like, mm-hmm. like everything is perfect, and part of that is because they're they're monitoring everything, right? And so, it's like if you have a spill, they come help you. But but also, it adds to that like kind of mystery, that eeriness. Yeah, yeah,
1: like hmm. no estás solo. Somebody's watching you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really like
0: the cruise ship setting, don't you? <laughs>
1: Yeah,
0: I can tell. I can tell. Yeah. Like
1: in Death of a telenovela it's is lighter and it's a much short it's a shorter book, but it's also about that. What happens in a, it that was one that went from Miami to uh Belize and Costa Maya and it follows a real uh itinerary and everything was I mean it's like the murder of course, but everything was based on people that we met and the tour guide and everything. So yeah, it's, it's fun. And I hope that can take cruces again after the pandemic. I, I don't feel too comfortable with it right now. So how was it when you were there, Gabby? Uh, Did you have to wear a mask all the time? How, how was yeah, that? Yeah, I was telling Anna that um, I kept thinking they were gonna cancel. You know,
2: like we had booked it a long time in advance and I wasn't sure if it was gonna happen. And then um, they had a lot of safety measures. So for example, everybody was either had to be vaccinated And then everybody, I think you had to be vaccinated. All my family was, so that wasn't an issue. Um, But we had to take a test three days prior. Mm.
0: Um,
2: And then you might still be like randomly screened to take a test again upon loading.
0: Um,
2: And then when we got off when at the stops, the children who were not vaccinated could not leave the boat. Because... They don't have you know they don't have the antibody protection so then they would potentially bring back if they were you know if they interacted with somebody who had the virus they would bring it back um and then just the masks yeah we did have to wear masks all the time especially like in all indoor settings they they were constantly constantly reminding us like oh i see your nose put your mask on um <laughs> yeah <laughs> um which was sometimes it's hard because they would um you know, you're drinking and stuff, like, so you need to take off the mask. So they La <laughs> they try to make it cute and they would say something like, oh, sip, sip, and then cover up.
1: <laughs> I can't help. Espera, y vaya, Pero bueno, we have to keep protected, but but it was enjoyable anyway, right? Sí, With sí. masks and everything. Sí, it, was,
2: it, it was really nice and, and it was like, there was a lot of people on the boat but yeah everybody seemed to be following the rules and and i guess at the end of the day it's reassuring to see that the companies you know the companies are doing their part yeah yes, important nice so let's see um so we have a question that's a little bit more personal um and you did share that you you were born in cuba you lived there for 30 years And so we're curious, right? So we talked a little, it's mentioned in the book, right, where where you said that people are not allowed to come, Cuban-born individuals are not allowed to come back on a boat. Um, And then later they took that off, right? And so there's been a lot of changes in Mm -hmm. um, the national and international policies. And so we're curious for you, all this evolution of policies, how has that affected
1: your connection to the island? You know, uh, when I came in 96, I went two or three times until my first book was published. And the, the book was kind of critical of the government. I wouldn't say it was super, super critical. I don't think that uh, I don't like to put politics poof, in a book because then that's uh, very off putting to readers. But it, you know, it reflected things as they were. So my mother got very scared and she said, No, no, I don't want you to come back until uh, you're sure that everything's going to be okay. So she came. To visit, but I didn't go back after 2004. I didn't go back for, uh, where you? you know, well, my book, my first book was published in 2004, but I had not, I had been in Cuba before in 2001, and that was it. So it took me almost, uh, almost 20 years to go back because I was afraid and my mother was afraid, but just before the pandemic, the in 2019, just before it started, in I said, in August 2019, I went back, and of course nothing happened. Nobody cares about me in Cuba. So I just came in with the two passports. Yes, the, the passport thing is absolutely true. Uh, if people uh, are born in Cuba, like me, when we go back, it doesn't matter that we have another. Uh, so Seriously, we still have to enter with the Q1 passport. So I was there with my Q1 passport and my American passport. Look at both of them. Okay, bueno, pues adelante, you no. Know. So, uh, but yes, it, it took me almost twenty years to go back. And then since so i everything was okay, no problem. And I'm hoping to go back there in two or three weeks if I can or in January where we're still on vacation because I want to see my mother she she still lives in Cuba and she doesn't want to go anywhere so um I'm just hoping that travel restrictions are not too awful and that I can can go back again Mm -hmm. yeah definitely I think you know like I was
2: born in in Mexico and it took me many years to be able to go back um and it was kind of right before COVID. And then it's like, now we have to stay put, you know? And so yeah. it's a little kind of little dance that we have to do. And it it's frustrating. Like we understand we want to, you know, get in line with the protocols and everything. But at the same time, it's like we have a calling to visit. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm.
1: Especially if we have family, you know, like my mother is 85 years old. So I, I have to go and see her. I, I And she cannot come out of Cuba anymore. It's, I mean before she was coming here to visit me, but it's getting to be too much of a hassle. It's too for much her. for her.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and now just, we, yeah sorry.
2: <laughs> no, no, that's I'm just curious why the two passport situation? It's,
1: it's one of the mysteries. No, we don't understand. Nobody seems to understand why, but that's that's how it is. Is it and then it, our visa we need even though we have a Cuban passport, we need to a petition for a Cuban visa to enter our own country. So it's one of the situations that everybody's like, mm, no se sé por qué.
2: Mm, okay. Clear. Yeah.
0: Are we ready for the next question? Yeah. Do you want to do it? Yes, can I ask
2: it? <laughs> My writer friend.
0: <laughs> yes, we wanted to I ask mean. you about your writing process. Oh, um, and you know, I'm a PhD candidate. So writing, finding time to write and just wanting to write is one of the hardest things. <laughs> but um, how do you find time to write your literature while also working as a professor and balancing life
1: as well? This Thinking, how how do I balance it? Well, it's not difficult for me to find time to write because I love to write. You know, sometimes people say, Oh, you have to be very disciplined to write. And I'm thinking, Well, I need to be disciplined to go to the gym, because I don't always want to work out. But, <laughs> but write, not well. I enjoy it so much that it's not uh, that I need discipline to the every, that I have a little Free moment, like ah, esperate, déjame poner esto, and I write a lot at night. No, I, I am in mean night hour, so I do my classes, whatever I have to do during the day, and take care of the house. Well, The house always is the last thing to be taken care of. No, ahí va, cómo sale, está limpia, está sucia, whatever. But bueno, I do my classes during the day, and then I write at night, and that's that's my, my best time to to write when everything is quiet and uh, no hay nadie oye hasta el cosa que me haciendo preguntas no the husband goes to sleep the dog goes to sleep too and i have time. for myself so, pero no es no es realmente eh, tan difícil just because it's something that i enjoy mm, no es una tarea no yeah. es una tarea exactamente mm. es algo divertido so there are, there are things that i need to put in my to-do list but i was thinking i never put right in my to-do list because no, pues, pues lo voy a hacer de todas formas. No, I love to do it. It sounds like you want to do it
0: anytime you can do it pues and sí. find the time. So it's not really pues about sí. discipline. ¿Sí? Yo soy lo, the quite the opposite. I'm the person who needs to be more
1: disciplined. <laughs> <laughs> si estás into dissertation, for example, bueno, sí. that I had to put on my to-do list. okay sí, si, realmente. Pero writing for fun, writing fiction, pues es diferente, no es... Sí. Divertido.
0: Sí. Este, the other question we wanted to ask you was um, as a Latina published author, right? Published is a big deal for a lot of us. Um, <clears throat> we wanted to ask you how was that process for you getting published? Maybe your first stuff? And then um, do you feel like your race or your gender ever affected whether you would even get your foot through the door? Like if they saw a woman was it
1: the author? It's kind of interesting. I think that the fact that I'm Cuban but I write in English makes me different, or exotic enough, if you will, and that uh, inspires, if nothing else, curiosity. Like people are curious to see, well, can she really write in English? Let's see what she has to say. You no, know? in uh, in that sense, it has helped. Me. It it makes me different. Not uh, I I've never felt that people have been particularly prejudiced against me being Cuban, they have been surprised though, because well, I, I said, well, I hope my books don't have an accent. No. So I, I wrote a piece for Crime Reads about writing with an accent and using Spanish in the books and all that. And I kind of uh, talk a little bit about it, but in general, well, hopefully if you read my book, you don't know that uh, English is not my first language. But when people know that that's not the case. I mean, I I didn't start speaking English or writing in English until I was thirty-something years old. So that makes me curious, like, huh, what's the deal with her And then if they start to trust me, well, then what she says about you and stuff was really sí. element of truth because she lived there so many years. So I think it has helped in that sense. um Yeah, that that has been my experience as a as a Latina, writer As a non English speaking person, writing in English, uh, I think it has just made me look different enough to attract curiosity. I guess
0: lo pregunto because we have like situations like JK Rowling, right, with Harry Potter, who um, for the longest was just, that was her pen name, right, because she didn't want people to know she was a woman, and she didn't feel like that would get her Um, And this is a white woman, right? So um, if a white woman feels like her identity is going to limit or even prevent her from being published, uh, you know, I don't know if that's the same situation now, but JK Rowling didn't publish not that long ago, right? Like she's still fairly Mm -hmm. new. So um, I was wondering if you felt like that still is uh, an experience, right, for
1: for writers, because it's there, you know? Yeah, I, I haven't experienced it personally, but there are so many things that I haven't experienced personally that I know exist today. I know like we're talking about prejudice and, and how Latinos experience prejudice. And just sometimes because of the way somebody looks, I get the experience is totally different. And I think that has been in that sense, I, I have been lucky, but I am sure that if you talk to other writers, they will give you a totally different uh, answer about this. So. Since I can only speak for myself, and yeah, in my experience, I, I have been lucky with my publishers too. I approached Soho Press on my own, no agent, um, like 20 years ago for my first book, uh, A Girl Like Che Guevara, and they said yes. So it was not the long process, and I, I know that happens a lot to try to find an agent and try to find a, a publisher. And then after that i already had the connection with them when i proposed my mystery first mystery novel to soho crime that is part of soho so just they were very nice and they said oh okay well you are with us so sure let's look at it. Was, <gasps> so gabby do you want
0: to ask your last question yeah i guess just like
2: thinking about the um the publishing process you know we when we joke around sometimes when me and Anna are in the chisme, I'll be like, oh, I'll save this, you know, I'll save this for my memoir. Um, <laughs> but who knows, maybe someday I might want to publish, you know, a book. And so you. if you have any advice on, I know there's a lot of women writers out there. Um, and I think sometimes it's scary to dream big, right? To dream of getting published. Um, that we, we, you know, we're afraid to take those steps. So if you have any advice on yeah, I'm getting yeah. published.
1: But, pues, por favor, don't be afraid. That's número uno. And, and start um tend uh, to publish uh, shorter pieces before approaching a publisher for a whole book. Because that helps a lot. If you have published in magazines or journals, or it, it can be like a university uh, magazines, that helps a lot. Having some um, pieces uh, pieces published here and there helps. And keep active. Like, I'm sure that except say publisher that says, I, pero estas Latinas chicas tienen su podcast, tienen su magazine, and this and that. That helps the publishers in general. They, they like to see that authors are able to self promote, to not uh, expect them to do all the, the work. So, having an online presence is also important, having I mean, at least a blog, and I'm, I'm not very good with online things. I don't like Twitter or Facebook or whatever, but it helps to have, at least I, I keep a blog just just to have something, but uh, having an online presence and being able to to promote your your book and, and to reach out to people is more important. So that could be two things, publish short pieces here and there, and keep an online presence. Is right, no más pónganse a escribir verdad, and sin vergüenza ninguna. Just send a letter to publisher and say, Well, I have this book, a super awesome book, aquí tengo. El lo quieren leer, you want to read it, and that's it. Because the, the publishers are actually always looking for the next bestseller, so they are not there to keep the, the doors closed. Like, Sometimes I hear other writers' friends and they say I know because no pero los editors no, viven de nosotros, no. So for them they, they look at the manuscripts and they are looking for the next big hit. So vamos vamos a intentarlo.
0: Sí. Wow, I like that. I know. Sí. Just
2: do it. The <laughs> we're already self promoting Anna, so we're saving the money. Aww.
1: Yeah. Ya ustedes están self-promoting Exactamente You have an online presence And you're just talking About the TikTok And the, well, of course There is the Latina Chica Speak Magazine And the podcast So you already have An online presence That base is covered Así que adelante
0: Gracias Kathy, <laughs> yeah, do you want to ask Our our last, last question I know we keep saying It's our last Pero it's because We're having
1: so much fun Ay, sí, si la pasamos muy padre <laughs> <laughs>
2: OK, so to conclude this conversation, um, we want to know how we can support your new book release. Where can we purchase it? Um, we know that maybe with COVID, you can't really do book touring as was it done in the past. But if you have any talks or readings that are coming up or any virtual events that, you know, maybe people can check out and support you
1: with. Uh, I pues a ver bueno, eh, the book will be available in Soho Crime, the Soho Crime website, sohopress.com, and also for Amazon and uh, all these online venues. Barnes and Noble,
0: yeah, Barnes and
1: Noble is available in most um, regular uh, book sale um, platforms muchas gracias chicas thank you so much for inviting me here i'll tell my students now i'm going to send an email to them right now thank you (laughs) and thank you so much
0: for today and for being here with us i know okay you're having a long day and she did That's this okay. in her okay. office you guys she didn't get to go home so she still has to make her way home so thank you so much gracias a ustedes yes and no. be- before we go um we just want to remind you guys to check us out at Latina speaks Magazine.com. Subscribe to our mailing list, which Teresa has done already. She's amazing. And I hope her students also subscribe. Um, follow <laughs> us on Instagram on Comadriando Hour. You can follow us on Twitter, Comadriando Hour, our email. We're always available, comadriandohour at gmail.com. You have questions, concerns, you want to have a guest on here, you know somebody, and um, we would love to hear from you. We're so happy to be having guests and Teresa was the amazing first guest so we're so excited for what yes we're so excited for what comes next and our podcast of course is on various platforms so if you go to our website hit podcast you will see the various platforms that we're on you can also check out our page there find out about me and Gabby um and if you enjoy it again please consider donating share follow um and Thank you again, Teresa, so much for being here with us. Um, Gracias a ustedes. Thank you for inviting me. Yes. And this is the part where we all say bye, everyone. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Ciao, ciao. Until next time. Bye. Bye.